It's fitting that we're in, in the midst of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. We've been taking a, a slow walk through because it's a really powerful prayer. Paul showed why he was so humbled before God that he actually knelt before this father in whom he had access to come before with this incredible prayer request. And last week we looked at those requests. Paul prayed often for people's spiritual lives. He, he knew that the most important part of a person was what was going on inside. And so uh, virtually every single prayer that you read of Paul in the New Testament, he's, he's calling Christians to go beyond their salvation to deeper things in the Lord. It's one thing to, to look at what Jesus has done for you, but it's a whole other realm of spiritual growth when you start to look at what he's doing in you through his Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is trying to do, stretch the believers, help them to see what God's doing right now in them. And so he prayed, if you weren't here last week, four requests. First, that they would be strengthened in the inner person and through the Holy Spirit. Strengthened to be able to do all the things that God's called them to do. Able to hold all that God was able to give them. He prayed that they would know um, Jesus dwelling in their hearts through faith. Now, Jesus was in their hearts, but to dwell means to make at home. To really anchor in. And his prayer for them was that Jesus is so at home in you that he has access to every part of your life. Thirdly, he prayed that they would come to a greater comprehension. Really, the word is apprehension, able to grasp, mentally grasp this this concept that God's love is so broad, so high, so deep, so long, it's so infinite, that they would know this, and then that, that they would be so filled with the full measure of God. Now, that's a credible prayer request in itself. I don't know if you've ever prayed that for someone. I, I pray for my kids. I pray for my spouse. I pray for my boss. I pray my, for my friend to be filled to the full measure of God. It means that God wants to fill us, and we're not full yet. And so God wants to stretch us inside so that his presence is seen, so when people look at us, they see more Jesus than they see us. So Paul's anticipating the response. The response very likely was, oh, that's, that's an audacious prayer request, Paul. I don't know if that's something that God can really do. And so Paul says, let me tell you about this God. Ephesians chapter 3, two verses, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul could have, could have ended his prayer like this. And if you look closely, both verse 20 and 21 begin with the words to him. The shortened version is this. Now to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We go, oh, that's awesome. Good closure, Paul. Way to wrap it up. But like Paul typically does, he has so much more to say. And so he wants to fill in a little bit more so we understand how great God is. So he does this. Now to him. Oh, let me tell you about him. Him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power at work. Within us, to that God be all glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So, I want to talk about two things today two very simple things, but two very big things when it comes to prayer. The first has to do with who you're praying to. What is God like? Because what you believe about God shapes your prayers. And so, if you've got an outline, you might want to fill this in on the back. Some very simple words. The first one is My biggest incentive for great big prayers is God. It's God. The more you know about God, the more you'll pray bigger prayers. Now to him, Paul says, who is able. Now to him who is able. God is able. It's so important that the person you're going to with your request is able. I mean, I've, I've called um, 
I've called computer companies and internet companies, phone companies, recently a frequent flyer business with an airline. And as often happens when you call, you have to press buttons and you're put on hold. And finally, you might get that magical moment when a human being picks up the phone. And then it becomes disheartening when they say that, oh, I'm not the person to talk to. Let's transfer you to this person. You go, oh, really? And the music starts and the waiting game continues. We want to know, is the person I'm talking to able to do what I need? I need to know that. You don't go to Chick-fil-A for a burger. You don't, you don't ask for invest, investment advice from your hairdresser. And kids, just I know you don't go to your parents to ask how to use your cell phone, right? <laughs> or to program your VCR or, or, or anything like that. You, your parents go to you. So you have to go to the person who's able to help. And so Paul says, this God is able. Able to do what? Well, let's just take a walk through Scripture. What did God do in, in answer to the cries of people? Well, he, he brought plagues to Egypt, and then he parted a sea. He miraculously fed his people with daily bread from heaven, with water from a rock, with quail that blew in from the coast. This God, this God fed a man through the, the food pieces that the birds delivered to him. He caused the oil in a jar to multiply, much like for Jesus, he caused the fishes and the loaves to multiply. He healed people of leprosy, deafness, blindness. He cast demons out of people. He caused a man to be able to walk on water. And he raised the dead. I mean, when you read through Scripture about what God is able to do, he's able to do a lot. And I've seen a lot that God is able to do. I've seen God uh, God do miraculous things in the lives of people. There was news this week of a person from our church. And this, person, this person's vitals ceased for three minutes. And someone began to intercede passionately. And God restored this person. The next day, she was released from the hospital. A little, almost a year ago, a couple missionaries we support, Scott and Anel Price, returned from Tanzania. And I was surprised when I saw Scott because he looked frail. And he looked pale. He was walking with a cane. And I asked Scott, what's, what's happening? What's going on? He said, well, since January, he's had some back pain. And he just tolerated it, taken Advil, waiting for the time when he'd be back in the States to see his doctor. But the news he got from his doctor was, this isn't your normal back pain. You have prostate cancer. And it's begun to metastasize in your body. We've got to treat this immediately. And right then and there, we gathered a group of leaders around him. We prayed over him. And from that day forward, many people began to intercede on behalf of Scott. People not only in our church, in our community, in the country, even in, even in other parts of the world began to pray passionately that God would heal this man. And he did the normal things of seeing the doctor, receiving treatments. His wife, Anel, changed his diet to where he, he, he ate better, healthier foods. And I had lunch with Scott this week. He said that the doctors cannot find any trace of cancer in his body. And his, his PSA counts, which were in the hundreds, is down to 6.7. Now, I've seen God heal people of cancer. And sometimes I've seen people die of cancer. I can't control how God responds to prayer, but I know this. I've seen enough to know God is able to do anything. God, God is able. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. God is able. Paul's in prison. And when you read the book of Philippians in the first chapter, Paul says, I know God can deliver me. But if he doesn't, 
I know I'm going to go to heaven. So I know what God's able to do. I just, I'm not, I can't tell if he's going to do it or not, but he's able. You go through the Old Testament, you see this again and again. You find the, the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They will not bow down to this idol that Nebuchadnezzar has, has built. And when the music starts, it says, we're not going to bow down. He says, if you don't bow down, I'm throwing you guys into this blazing, fiery furnace. He said, you do that, king. I want you to know this. Our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, they say, we will not bow down. That's the, that's the kind of faith God wants us to have, to believe that God is able. I've been taking a seminary class, kind of going back to school, just to learn some more things. And we've been studying the life of Abraham the past few weeks. If you follow Abraham, Abraham's the model of faith. He was called by God to leave the land of his father, to go to a place he'd never been to before, And with this promise, God says, your name will become great. You become the father of many nations, and out of you will come a blessing to all the nations on the earth. So he knows that he's going to have a great heritage. The problem is he's 70 years old. His wife is 60. They don't have any kids, and she's beyond childbearing years. So when he becomes 85, Sarah encourages him to have a baby with their servant girl, Hagar. Because surely God isn't keeping his promise. We're going to have to figure this out on our own. And so Hagar gets pregnant, has a son, and God says, that's, that's not my plan. He says, you will have a son through your wife, Sarah, and he will be the one through whom the blessing flows. Fourteen years later, when Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90, she gives birth to a little boy named Isaac. There's a lesson there. If, if, if you think God acts quickly... Uh, think again. For God, 30 years is quick. For us, it's forever. But he kept his promise. And he raises up this little boy named Isaac, knows that he's, a, he's God's child of the promise. But when he's a teenager, God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice that boy. Now, I want to share with you from the book of Romans when, when Paul speaks of the faith of Abraham. It says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that what? God was able to do what he promised. God was able. So when God says, hey, that son, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham probably thought, God, that's the son of the promise. But his faith had grown to the point where Abraham says, okay, God, I'll do what you say. Took him to a mountain. He was actually ready to sacrifice his son when an angel intervened. What we don't know at that time was what was going on in the heart of Abraham. But the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was what? Able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham believed, my God God is able to do that. If I have to slay my son, God's going to keep his promise somehow. He'll probably just raise him back up. So he believed in a God who was able. I love, I love what Jeremiah 
writes, Jeremiah the prophet says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. Nothing's too hard for you. When I look at the heavens, I see the earth and the beauty and the power and majesty. I think, man, that's the kind of God that I serve. That's the kind of God we pray to. By the way, I want you to get a picture of the kind of God that made this world. We just sang that song about all the stars and planets and things in, 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 the, uh, in the heavens. Do you know how close the sun is? The sun is the closest star in the Milky Way to us. Uh, the sun is, let me get it here, 9.94 million miles from Earth. 94 million miles. That's quite a drive. 94 million miles. And the, the rays of the sun take eight minutes, a little over eight minutes, to go from the sun to us. So light travels incredibly fast, which tells you that's still a long ways off. Now get this. If it takes eight minutes from light to go from the sun to us, one light year, the light, light can travel in one light year six trillion miles. Six trillion miles. Now get this. Light can travel almost six trillion miles in a year. Astrophysicists say the edge of the universe from one end to the other is 15.5 billion light years. What is 15.5 billion times six trillion? I don't know. It's got, a, it's got so many zeros. I can't, even, I can't even fathom that. Okay, so Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't know it at the time, but he's saying the guy who made all that, who, who, who sketched out the edges of the universe, that's the God you're praying to. So you think you've got a marriage issue that's pretty big? I think God can handle it. Got a financial problem? Seems overwhelming. I think, I think God's big enough to handle that, don't you think? You, you got a, a school issue, a relational issue, a health issue? Is God big enough? Of course. When the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to a child and he's going to be the Christ, and she says, um, how is this going to happen? I'm still a virgin. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. God is able, nothing's impossible. God is able, nothing's impossible. God is able, nothing's impossible. So what's holding you back? What's holding you back in your prayer life? And see, Paul doesn't even stop there. He's just starting. He's just warming up. He says, God is able to do all that we ask. You don't just get three, three wishes and then you're done. He says, God is able to do everything you're asking him to do. Of course, we know we want to do what brings him glory. But he says he can do incredible things. He can do great things. He can do all that you ask. Even, he can even do all that you ask or think. Are you even thinking? You haven't even prayed it yet. Some of the Bible say more than all, all you ask or imagine. He can do even more than that. But he, Paul stretches it even further. God is able to do more abundantly all that you ask or think. That's quite a bit, isn't it? More abundantly, not, not just what you're thinking about, what you're praying for. He says, I'll do you better. I'll do it more abundantly. You ask for this, I'll pour it on. You give to me, I overflow the response. I look at so many areas of my life that God has blessed me more than I've ever prayed. He's that kind of God. But, but Paul adds one more modifier. He says he's able to do far more abundantly beyond all you ask or think. Come on, Paul's saying, how big do you want God to be? Some Bibles say things like this. He's, he gives immeasurably more. Or the King James Version, exceedingly abundantly above. 
or the amplified ver- version, super abundantly more. I mean, it seems so redundant. He's going to give you abundantly. No, no, uh, abundantly more. No, super abundantly more. And Paul's saying, how many more words do you want me to put on there to tell it just how big your God is? The truth is this. What God is able to give is far more than you've ever asked. He is able. Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, says, if your prayers aren't impossible for you, they're insulting to God. What he means by that is this. If you think your issue, your problem, your challenge is too big to bring to God in prayer, that's a slap in his face. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about the little things. That's not what he's saying. God didn't care about the little things, so don't ask for little things. He's just saying this. If you've got a big problem in your life and you say, well, I wish God could do something, but it's too big for God, that's insulting to God. The God who made the universe, who put all the stars in place, God is able. That should expand our prayer life, except for one problem, the other part of the equation. The biggest hindrance to great prayers is me. Because Paul is praying to the same God that Jesus prayed to, who's praying to the same God that Abraham prayed to, who's praying to the same God that Scott Price prayed to. It's all the same God. And if you and I aren't seeing great things in our lives, it's not because it's a different God, it's because of us. We have a say in how much God is able to do in our lives. And we can limit God in a number of ways. Three of those ways are these, a lack of faith. A lack of faith can limit what God can do. Jesus, when he traveled around doing ministry, noticed that in some areas he couldn't perform miracles. Not because he was not able to, it's because there was a lack of faith in that region. Lack of faith. Oftentimes you'll hear this phrase, according to your faith. We find that in um, Matthew chapter 9, story of a couple blind men who come to see Jesus. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am what? Able to do this. And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. According to your faith. In relation to your faith. In proportion to your faith. There's a connection here between faith and and what God was able to do in their lives. God is sovereign. I totally believe that. God is in control. God can do whatever God wants to do, whenever God wants to do it, for whoever God wants to do it. That's the kind of God we serve. But somehow, God in his infinite wisdom said, I am going to make you a partner in what I do in many cases. And you get to determine how much you want me to be in your life. You get to control the valve. You want it to open wide? You want it to close. It's up to you. How much do you want me to work in your life according to your faith? There was a, a preacher uh, over a century ago. He saw Haddon Spurgeon, who Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers uh, that ever lived in England. And a man came to him and said, you know, when I'm preaching, uh, I'm not seeing people respond. Nobody's getting saved. And Spurgeon said, well, do you expect a response every time you preach? And the guy says, well, no, not, not every time. He says, that's your problem. That's your problem. You don't expect, you don't believe that God could do that. Last year, in the early evening, I turned on our television set and there was a news flash. A little boy, about two years of age, had vanished from a hotel down in Pueblo. Parents didn't know where he was. 
couldn't find them. They'd been searching for a couple hours. The police were out there, the search teams. And I could tell from the camera that it was getting dark outside. And immediately I began to think how traumatic that would be as a parent. I know what it's like for me as a grandparent. If that was my grandson, I'd be freaking out. I'd be torn up. I couldn't sleep. And I thought, what's going on in the hearts of these parents? That boy could be trapped somewhere. You know, he, he could have fell in something, fell in a hole. Uh, he could have gotten, you know, hurt by an animal. Or worse, he could have gotten abducted. And I, and I just thought to myself, oh, that's so horrible. And I turned the channel to watch some, you know, some funny show like Big Bang Theory. And then, and then it, the Holy Spirit kind of whispered to me, that's all you're going to do? And I went, oh, yeah, I should, I should stop and pray. So I muted the TV, and right then I said, Lord, and I said, Lord, would you, would you reveal to where, the, where this child is? Because you know where he is. You see it. Would you open the eyes of those that are searching to see him? Lord, I pray that he's not in harm's way. I pray that he's, he's not hurt. I pray he's definitely not in the hands of an abductor. But I pray, Lord, that he would surface in the next 30 minutes so these parents could have a peaceful evening, that they could embrace their child and, and love on him tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would hear their cries, that they're praying desperately for you to come to their aid. And then I turn back to the news station, and I, 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 I kid you not, within like five seconds, they interrupted the, the newscast, say, oh, we got a live report again from Pueblo, and they said the boy has been found. And I, and I began to think, as I said, Lord, did my prayers make a difference here? Did my, was it my prayer that was a breakthrough at that moment? And you know, I don't know. But what if I get to heaven and find out that my prayer helped save that child? What if you knew that your prayers really made a difference? If you knew that, would you go back in time and say, Lord, I would have taken prayer a lot more seriously. I'm telling you, take it more seriously. Take it more seriously. Believe that God hears your prayers and that he answers your prayers. Lack of faith can limit God. So can lack of love by, by, by failing to love like God loves. God loves in a boundless way. Remember the dimensions of God loves, and the height and width and all that? He's got so much love for us. And Paul had that kind of love for people, especially for his fellow Jews who had rejected Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, very first verse, Paul speaks to, to the Roman church, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. His heart's broken. See, we should, we should ache for people that don't know Jesus. Years ago, when, we, uh, when the church was located on Aspen Drive and it had started to grow in a bigger way, a lady said to my wife at a church picnic, You know, I kind of like the church at this size. I kind of wish it would stay this size. And I thought, How sad. How sad that. It's good that we got in, but not good that others get in. I mean, our mission is to help more people more often say yes to God. Let me put it this way. If you're on a rescue ship, and there were people who'd gone overboard, and, and all of us were desperately pulling people in out of the waters, we're pulling in as many as we can. Does there ever come a point where we say, hey, I think we've got enough. Stop, stop, it's getting crowded on board here. We would inconvenience ourselves as much as possible to make sure every single one, as we sung in that song, God does not leave one behind. He searches for the one. You and I should have that heart. And if you don't ache for people that don't know Jesus, you're not connected to the Father's heart. We have a young lady in our church named Amanda Fisher. She's uh, on a mission with youth with the mission. She's helping to lead an outreach down in Brazil. 
And they were down in Brazil during the time of Mardi Gras, which down there is a really big deal. They have a thing called Carnival, which isn't like a carnival. It is a big celebration before Ash Wednesday. It's a night of revelry and, 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 and a, lot of, a lot of things go on. And she saw this man sitting on a, a homeless man sitting along a seawall, and she went over and felt God says, go talk to him. So she talked to this man for about 45 minutes, but he didn't want to receive Christ. And she left feeling frustrated, like, God, why did you have me do this? And the Lord whispered to her, I just wanted you to love my son. A couple of nights later, they were having an evening worship service at a church, and she looks out in the crowd, and there that man is. And she was told by another YWAMer that that man had received Christ that night. She went and talked to him and found out that he was actually on his way to Carnival, walking by the church when he saw the doors open and felt prompted by a voice that says, what's in there is more important than what's over there. So he went in the church. He was saved. And he said, uh, he said to her that he was so blessed by his new family. See, when you love people that don't know Jesus, it motivates you to pray. It really does. And sometimes lack of power will be the hindrance in our lives for our prayer. Because Paul says, according to the power at work within us, that power comes through the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. That's why Paul's praying for an increasing move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have greater prayer in everything that we do, in our speaking, in our praying, in everything. There's no limit to what God can do through this power that it's work within us. In 1945, we found the power hidden in a tiny atom. It was just a small, pea-sized part of uranium that when those atoms were split, gave enough power to level the city of Hiroshima. What kind of power has God made available in the heart of a believer? Greater power than you could imagine. Greater power. Jesus said, if you have faith, small as a mustard seed, you could do great things for him. And so we seek God to do great things in our lives. We need to open the valve. Like, Paul, like, like, like the psalmist says, when the Israelites came from Egypt to the promised land, Psalm 81, verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open the valve. I have so much more to give you. As we talked about last week, what God wants to give us is so much more than we're ready to receive. And so we want God to do greater things, but do you have the power to ask for those things? My wife and I moved here in 1995. We came to a church on Aspen Drive that was averaging about 350 people a weekend. At that time, the leaders had sold the church property that was up on the hill, which um, we sold to the parks and recreation. It is now soccer fields and softball fields. And we began to search for another piece of land. We found that land at 4955 Bradley Road right here. In 2001, we opened up a new worship center over there. Now, along that journey, things came up. For example, I remember a congregational meeting when about 50 people were gathered in the sanctuary. And we said that God had, had moved us to the point where we wanted to hire a full-time worship pastor. And someone in the church says, how in the world are we going to afford that? Because we've never had someone like that on our staff that's going to add, you know, a big chunk of money to our budget. We said, God's leading, he'll provide. And we never looked back. We added a youth pastor. We added other staff members. We built a building on this property. And God began to expand our mind of what could God do through a group of people that trusted him. 
About 10 years ago, the elders felt this stirring that it's time to build a, a worship center and dedicate that building over there to our children. And some people said, like, we can't do that right now. The economy's tanking. It was 2008. This is the, the worst time of, of any time to try to raise money to build a building. But we said, God still tells us to go forward, to move forward. And we didn't raise a ton of money, but we were able to build this place. And since we moved in here a little over seven years ago, uh, about 1,000 people have been baptized. We started a program called MOPS, Celebrate Recovery, Reengage. Along the way, God said, I'm going to even do more than, than you've been thinking. You know that care center that you're wanting to do down the road? I'm going to provide money for you to do it right now. And so God has worked again and again. When we sent Scott and Nell Price to the mission field, we didn't have money to do that. They needed a salary. We said, where are we going to come up with the money to support these missionaries? So God put on our hearts to start a fund called Faith Promise. And people pledged trusting God to provide little extra that they could give beyond their tithes. And we began to support Scott and Nell full-time on the mission field. What kind of God do we serve? I'll tell you, a God who is able. Even Jesus knew that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Jesus, I'm going to go to the cross. And I don't want to drink this cup. You're able to deliver me from it, but not my will, but yours be done. See, that's ultimately the goal of our prayers, that God would be glorified. Not that our prayers would be answered to make us happy, but that God would be glorified in the things we're asking for. And I just want to ask you this. Are you asking something big enough that everyone would know God did that?